Ration M, a novel by Whiskey Emerson. Three. The sun has yet to peek over the horizon as I wake the next morning. Grudgingly, I took CB duty for the night, meaning my ass was on the couch in case of an emergency call, which thankfully never came. Before turning in, Gibbs and I decided to let Sierra and Cecily sleep off their anger, with the hope that a little time and space might cool tempers. Once the crew of us convened the following day, we needed everyone to have a level head. There was new information to digest on multiple fronts, and a part of me feels apprehensive with how the others are going to respond to the fact that Katie, Gibbs, and I have been, well, on a heathen-killing masquerade since shortly after the men were taken. It took me some time after Katie's arrival to Ben to convince Gibbs that she could be trusted. Yet once I did succeed, Gibbs quickly ascertained how incredible of an asset Katie is. In the second round of the plague, Katie's husband Mark was infected, and within days he passed on, leaving her and their two pups alone to fend for themselves as Portland burned to the ground. With no hope for the city, Katie packed up whatever she needed to survive, grabbed the dogs, and proceeded to walk the entire 152 miles from her home in Portland to my front doorstep. The journey took her almost three weeks of trailing over mountains, surviving the intense heat and cold of the desert, and at last, nearly collapsing, half-starved, she found me with only the hope that I might still be there. Our friendship to this day has lasted nearly half of my life, and in a time when we lost everything, it was an overwhelming relief to grasp that she and I still had one another. With Mark gone, Katie settled into a place just down the street from where I lived and took to doing what she did best. Not only is Katie what I would deem a full-scale apothecary, but also she is well-versed in how to grow and use marijuana for an extensive list of medicinal purposes, a knowledge we have greatly benefited from during these darker days of the apocalypse. On top of that, Katie is a tough bitch, and I love her for it. There is no one I will ever trust more, which is why when it came to hunting heathens, I wanted her by my side with Gibbs. And in the years since, we've become quite the team. The flicker of sunbeams catches my attention from resting my eyes as I lay reminiscing, and with a sigh, I accept that there is no more sleep in the cards for me. Instead, I unzip and draw back my sleeping bag, then sit upright on the sofa, stretching my arms overhead. The entire living room is deserted other than myself, and squinting my eyes, I focus on the clock in the kitchen. It's barely after 5 a.m. At my feet, Annabelle snores loudly, indicating she has no intention of waking for the day. I get to my feet and start to amble to the kitchen for some instant coffee and my shoes to gain some fresh air. The first army patrol wouldn't be out for another two or three hours, though I am well aware I ought to bring my nine along in the holster just in case, particularly with the heathens increasing their presence in town. Quietly, I sneak out the side door of the house with my boots on tight and a hydro flask full of powdery caffeine, my body itching to move and stretch in the crisp morning air. Perhaps this is a fine time to describe to you just what has become of the town I call home. And to best paint this picture, I suppose I will have to do that in the waves of destruction and desolation that struck. The plague brought about a very extreme level of isolation amongst our community. People were under no circumstance allowed to leave their homes unless they were forced to retrieve food and supplies, and anything external to the walls of houses was left to its own devices. Lawn maintenance, motor vehicles, streets, sidewalks, all of this became overgrown, weathered, 
and barely manageable other than by the occasional cars or caravans brave enough to travel through Bend. We had experienced quarantine life before, but not at this capacity, with each day bringing about more and more tragedy. This, we were too slow to realize, was a matter of life and death. And by the time death had sunk its teeth into humanity, it was far too late. As the dead were taken away and the sick evacuated, homes were left vacated, and vacated they remained. Initially, there were squatters here and there, though that number additionally declined as well. And suddenly, entire blocks were empty, windows were boarded up, and Bend became a ghost town, like the rest of what was left of America. This played to both our advantage and disadvantage later, when the army and the tribes moved in on us. Gibbs originally lived on the west side of town, just off of Newport, though currently she has relocated to what we describe as her compound, a cul-de-sac of homes and garages alongside the Deschutes River, which has miraculously stayed off the radar of the army, and we hope to keep it that way, at least for as long as possible. When the crew gathers, the compound houses each and every one of us, yet we try to refrain from group meetings as often as possible to avoid an ambush. Hence, the CB radios and the code names. This place, it's become a wasteland and a battlefield of gods against men. From the main house's side door, I hike my way down to the trail by the river, wanting nothing more than to clear my head after what has been two of the most challenging days I've endured in the last few months. What I couldn't let others perceive is the guilt suffocating my every breath, the pain I feel at allowing Jenna to be ripped out from my fingertips by a fucking piece of shit, duplicitous Casanova. Jenna was special in so many ways, and like me, still had been foolhardy enough to believe there was good even in the worst of humans. Without hesitation, she'd taken me in after the army tried to hang me, and we'd existed harmoniously cooking up bathtub gin and aiding those who needed it whenever we could. Then came Lucas. And the rest, you've heard. Birds are chirping, singing harmoniously as the sun climbs higher in the beautiful clear June sky overhead. The rush of the river calms my calamitous and anxious heartbeat, and I am feeling light, embracing the scent of pine and juniper filling my nostrils. A soft wind blows, and I wander and wonder, recalling a day years ago when he and I ran this trail together on an early summer morning. It was the first time he told me he loved me, a moment which, a moment which feels like a dream lost in the madness of this chaos we were cast into. What happened to us? How did we let it get this far? And Jenna, taken. Could I have done something, anything different? It isn't until I stop to rest two miles down the trail that I notice I've been crying, or rather, undeniably sobbing by the dampness of my cheeks. Instead of pushing onward, I find a tree and sit down at the base, drawing my knees into my chest as I let myself grieve for Jenna, for him, and for everyone the world has lost. It's not a full attack of despair, more like a twinkling acknowledgement of what had been and would never be again. <clears throat> you, um... You need a rag? The sound causes me to nearly jump out of my skin as my head snaps up from my knees to take in the forest around me. A woman is standing not ten feet away, her stance awkward and somewhat embarrassed, and behind her lingers about a dozen other people, and I can't help but note that six of the twelve appear to be men. My stare meets hers, firm. I'm armed. I can see that, she says. Good. Nonchalantly, I draw my nine and instantly pull one into the chamber, aiming the nose at her head. Hand steady. 
Who the fuck are you and what do you want? I ask. Straight away, her hands raise into the air. Whoa, whoa, whoa there. We're no threat to you. Put that thing away. I don't flinch. I asked you a question. Arms still high, she nods. Alexa. Alexa, I recognize. Leader of the brush biters. That's correct. She isn't old, yet these years have worn her. Her once long, light brown hair is now littered with gray, framing her oval face, and the lines around her hazel eyes and prevalent on her forehead are far deeper than I remember. We had, at one point, been friends, or friendly, at the very least, but that was lifetimes ago. Alexa doesn't stand tall, perhaps about five and a half feet, but her frame is sturdy, and I'd put money on her to be scrappy in a fight. The twelve brushbiters behind her might as well be targets, their gazes filling with fear at the sight of my gun. I almost snort, not rescinding my draw. You want to tell me what the fuck you're doing sneaking up on me in the woods like this? I press. Alexa looks at me. I just want to talk. About what? Lowering her hands, Alexa reaches for the canteen of water over her shoulder, removes it, and holds it out to me. You should have a little water. Water? She nods. You've walked two miles, and we could hear your cries from a quarter mile away. I can guarantee you're dehydrated. I eye her closely. You get to drink a gulp first, and then I will. A tiny smirk comes to her face. Clever girl. I choose not to retort and watch her mindfully as she takes a long sip. When she's done, Alexa screws the cap back on and hands the canteen to me. You don't trust, she observes. Not in this world, now, I convey, grabbing for the can- canteen, releasing the lid, and taking a drink, the nose of my nine still aiming at her. Why are you wanting to talk to me and not to Gibbs? I know she's your contact. This seems out of place and really unwarranted. For a second or two, Alexa hesitates, and then to my surprise, she proceeds to sit down straight in front of me, despite the danger she is in. With you, there's less history, is all she says. Now, can you please put the gun away so we can have a civilized conversation? Nothing has been civilized in the last five years, I remark, but holster my nine compliantly. What the fuck do you want, Alexa? You've been attacked by heathens in the last two days. It isn't a question. And? And, like me, you've noticed their raids are getting more frequent and their numbers are increasing while ours, ours fade. I shrug. All notable observations I have made, yes. Her brow furrows, and I can see that whatever she's going to verbalize next is not something I'm going to like. They are keeping some of their victims, she says, for, well, I don't know if it's breeding, brainwashing, or something far more sinister. There are more of them already. The heathens, they've, they've wound, found a way to, to turn us. Alexa's statement grabs my full attention. Turn us. Fuck, I reply. You're telling me you found one of their camps? It was a complete accident, she confesses honestly. Witnessing what sort of place that was, it wrecked the minds of a few of my best. Her eyes are frightened. It was unbelievably barbaric. Your worst nightmares. Gibbs, Katie, and I have been hunting them, I tell her with eagerness. We've taken out dozens, and yet their numbers only increase. Like I said, she goes on, brainwashing, desperation. We don't know how yet, but they have altered many of their victims from the surrounding towns and cities. 
I would presume a certain amount of torture, Stockholm Syndrome, anything that could reprogram a psyche, as well as food, because we all know how scarce that is these days. But there has to be another element to it. You really think there's something else? My gut tells me so, but I can't be sure. God damn it, I utter. And what about this fucking army? An odd look crosses her face, and for over half a minute, she's stoic, studying me. You don't buy it either, do you? Alexa asks at last. Not anymore. I have another gulp of water. Did you happen to have some bastard named Lucas hanging around with you at any point? The blush in her complexion fades to fury. He killed one of our girls. My anger is then also triggered, and my teeth grind together. He killed one of ours, too. And then I fucking killed him. Alexa is bewildered. You killed Lucas. I nod. He killed a member of my family, and evidently one of yours as well. Clearly his end had come. Not a second later, a young woman, remarkably beautiful, with a fair complexion and light green eyes, comes staggering forward, tears beginning to build up on her cheeks. She halts just beside Alexa, gawking my direction. You killed him? She gasps. I did, I tell her, two days ago. A wave of reprieve softens her countenance. That son of a bitch murdered my sister. He fooled all of us and I... She halts, steadying her voice. I don't know what to say other than thank you. I I bow my head and give her a smile. It's an honor to rid this earth of that piece of shit. And I'm truly sorry about your sister. He killed my sister too. And you don't think they're army either, Alexa questions, breaching the topic again. I shake my head. I absolutely do not. And yet they are completely outfitted for the task, she adds. I personally believe they're deserters, I say. And of what, Alexa responds, just hijacked a town? Hell yeah, I exclaim. Think about it. They get a town full of women, endless resources, and protection. Not to mention we are far enough off the map that no one gives a damn to check in here. Alexa is contemplative again. Who is the girl Lucas killed amongst you? A leader? I swallow. Yeah. And was she... Instantly then, my mouth goes dry. Was she what? Pregnant? Now bile rises in my throat. How did you know that? Because my sister was pregnant, the girl next to Alexa declares. I hadn't told a soul that Jenna was pregnant. It seemed irrelevant, and the pregnancy was early, maybe just at seven or eight weeks. However, with this bit of information at my disposal, I rapidly discover any lingering remorse about murdering Lucas is gone. How many of the people standing here have been assaulted or raped by the officers of this so-called army? I yell out to them. No one moves until Alexa twists toward her people and nods. Every female and some male hands lift into the air. I stare to Alexa. They don't want permanence. It's fucking spoils. They're enjoying it, and they'll go home and pretend they went to war. And we would never know otherwise, she utters. And we would never be able to do anything about it, I append. Alexa looks sick. You've confirmed my darkest dreams. I shrug. Welcome to Bend. A few of the brush biters behind her chuckle, and that eases my demeanor. Alexa, there is... There's something I would like to pick your, pick your brain about while you're here. Such as? Such as the shadows. 
As soon as the words leave my lips, Alexa is immediately defensive. What about the shadows, she requests. Well, my question certainly caused a change, I point out, observing her. You know we are allies to the shadows, she says. No shit, I retort. And you expect me to share their secrets, she asks. I expect you to tell me why the fuck they're kidnapping innocent children. That is what I expect of you, Alexa. I have a sister, one friend, the last mother of a young child in our leadership, terrified of what happens the moment she leaves him unattended and exposed. And I'm tired of trying to convince her it's all going to be all right. Grace, it isn't what it seems. A tad shocked, I glare at Alexa. How do you know my name? Everyone knows who you are, the young girl beside her says. Well, that's unfucking lucky It isn't what it seems, I repeat aloud, unflinching. Alexa's eyes ease. They aren't the enemy you believe they are. Oh, really? I snap. Kidnapping innocent children. We're cool at that these days. She darkens. Would you rather they be hidden or eaten? Hidden? Out in the distance, we hear vehicles mobilize, of which I cannot determine, and Alexa gets to her feet. I'm sorry our time here must come to an end, Grace but I have a feeling I'll see you soon. Tell Gibbs to expect us at the market tomorrow. I, too, stand. Alexa, she is already walking to her people, gathering them to travel. Yes. It's a long shot. Is Megan alive? Alexa stops dead in her tracks, not speaking, and I reiterate my question. Is Megan alive? Peering over her shoulder, Alexa's expression is unreadable. You'll find out soon enough. By the time I make it back to the compound, it's mid-morning, and while not everyone has arrived just yet for our meeting, I have a feeling I'll be one of the last to join. Because before we have our congregation, I need a word with Gibbs about her ex-girlfriend and just what in the hell the brush biters are up to. I march directly to the side door of the house and burst into the kitchen, where Cecily, Gibbs, and Avery linger with mugs of coffee, their conversation coming to a screeching halt upon seeing me. Avery is the first to speak. Her hair is shade lighter than its normal forest green. Gracie, you okay? Fine. Cecily and Gibbs exchange a glance. What happened? Gibbs asks. I peer out of the kitchen and into the living room. Sierra and Katie are side by side on the floor, playing peekaboo with Van. On the couch sits Taylor and Jess, having what seems to be a lighthearted conversation, and I therefore assume, due to their absence, Claire and Anna have yet to join the party. Not wanting to cause a stir, I keep my voice low. I had a visit from some fucking brush biters, Gibbs. That's what happened. And by the way, they'll be at the market tomorrow. Cecily gapes at me. Alexa, in these parts? That is way out of her normal territory, Gibbs, Avery declares. Why would they come all that way just to corner Gracie? Unwavering, Gibbs focuses on me. I think we're about to find out. I bite my lip, wanting to lean on Gibbs a little harder, but grasping it wouldn't get me far with any other girls around. Alexa and about a dozen other brush biters confronted me in the woods, down off the river loop. There were a few things to report. One is that, similar to us, they think the army is a farce. Second, Lucas was going after one of their girls, too, and killed her before Jenna. Holy fuck, Cecily breathes. And that's not the worst of it, I add. What's the worst of it? Gibbs presses, having a sip of coffee. The girl was pregnant, and Jenna was too. Avery's hand grasps my forearm in disbelief. Jenna was pregnant? 
She told me she was just a couple weeks along. Gibbs is deliberating went exactly where mine had. They don't want to leave any evidence behind. Clearly they don't, I concur. I also asked Alexa about the shadows and why they're taking children. And, Cecily inquires, she made a comment that was meant to muddy the water. She said, better hidden than eaten. My gaze is on Gibbs. What in the hell does that mean? It sounds to me like she's trying to justify the shadow's behavior, comes Katie's voice from behind me. I circle around and smile at her. Hey, littles. Hey, bigs. Got a little scare in the woods, huh? I guess I'm easy to find. I move to grab my canteen of water from the counter and chug down a few gulps, parched. On top of that, they confirmed our speculation that the heathens are getting worse. From the driveway, we hear the sound of bicycle tires. Our final two had arrived for the meeting. Let's make sure everyone has coffee, Gibbs suggests. It seems that we have quite a few things to discuss this morning. All ten of us form a circle on the floor, each with a cup of instant coffee in hand. A custom I am not certain who initially started, and yet was now a habit. Leadership, as we call ourselves, occurred organically and out of necessity, mainly due to the fact that there were only so many able-bodied women adept enough to get around town and make sure survivors, well, survived. Everything east of what used to be Highway 97 was completely gone. Every house, every business, every building burned to the ground, leaving nothing but blackened desert until you reached the Badlands. On the west side of 97, we did our best to take care of what was left of Bend. When I still had Jenna, we would monitor the majority of River West. Sierra took care of Old Bend down through Galveston. Claire and Anna watched the southwest corner. Cecily and Gibbs split time between Summit West through Tumalo. Katie and Taylor had their eye on Aubrey Butte. And last but not least, Avery and Jess patrolled Century West. It's easy to wonder how in the hell 10 women could keep tabs on a town that was, at one point, over 100,000 humans. Still, from what we can estimate, the current number of people in Bend is right around 1,000. From the plague alone, we lost half the town, perhaps more. Then the men were taken. Then there was the fire that burned down everything east of 97, killing over two-thirds of who we had left. The rest had been case by case. Sickness, starvation, heathens, the army. Many left in search of something better, though the sad, ugly truth is that we also discovered a wave of suicide swept over the town when help didn't arrive. Times got very, very dark. Sierra got Jenna and I involved with the group, originally organized by Gibbs, and over time we gradually recruited who we could. In an odd way, we're kind of an assembly of neighborhood watch. We check on everyone we can account for, doing our best to ensure that people eat each day and have the ability to stay warm or cool depending on the season. We can't control the army and their antics, nor can we predict heathen raids, yet we consistently warn the community to stay out of sight and off the streets whenever possible. Prineville is gone, Gibbs announces, opening the meeting, which means gas supply is going to be limited. Were they our only source? Claire asks, pushing her brown hair behind her ears. We'd been siphoning gasoline wherever possible, but Prineville had an abundance of it, Avery explains. Like Gibbs said, Prineville is gone. The gas is gone. It was a nightmare. Burned. Hell. The whole group takes a moment of silence before we move on. Looks like we need to start brainstorming alternative options, Katie says at last. What about stealing from the army, Taylor offers. I mean, we had a connection with them, didn't we? We did, I articulate brusquely. 
until Cal beat the shit out of me and raped me during an exchange. Then Jenna was handling it for us, but unfortunately, unfortunately, Jenna is now no longer with us. Everyone's gaze drops to the ground, away from mine. Oh, Taylor utters, flushing with embarrassment. Gracie, I'm, I'm so sorry. I shake my head and hold up my hand. Don't be sorry, Tay. You didn't know. Not wanting to discuss it any further, I address the group as confidently as I can. The army is on the hunt for me and for Sierra. I think the best thing we can do tomorrow at Sunday Market is feel out our options. Will you two be safe? Jess questions. Probably not, answers Sierra frankly, but we've had worse. The one important and very prevalent issue we need to examine, Gibbon certs, taking over the dialogue, is the increase of the heathen raids. We've been fortunate, very fortunate, to be able to get by with one or two raids a month up until now. However, we are currently starting to note weekly raids, sometimes twice a week, and the army is, I think strategically, never around to confront them. Sierra and Grace were lucky enough to be armed when they were ambushed. Well, can we do something about it? Avery beseeches her. I can sense Gibbs's reluctance to tell them the truth of what we've been up to. From across the circle, Katie's, Katie's eyes meet my stare, and I sigh. You have to do it, his voice tells me. I know, I think in response. Here's the hard reality, I speak loudly. For the last 18 months... Katie, Gibbs, and I have secretly been going on independent missions to try and cut the heathen numbers. It felt like the right thing to do, especially when we were able to ascertain just how fucking monstrous they truly are. Wait, hold on, Cecily interrupts. Cut heathen numbers? Are you trying to tell us you've been out there killing these fuckers? Her expression stoic, Katie responds with a simple, yeah, lots of them. Whoa, Avery joins in, killing heathens? That's so dangerous. To my relief, Sierra is intrigued, perhaps even excited. Hell yeah, how many of them have you gotten? Not as many as we'd hope, I concede. They're extremely difficult to track down, and when we do find them, we have to be mindful of numbers. On a good day, we get anywhere from one to six. Bad days, none. How is it possible that if you're picking them off, their numbers are growing, Anna entreats us. Fuck if we know, Katie returns. That's the real predicament, isn't it? I continue. We were certain if we kept at it, we would find a way to decrease their hold on this territory. Instead, they're gilding, getting bolder and more barbaric. Per information I received today, they're finding ways to, to turn people. A few gasps are heard from the circle. Turn them, Taylor asks shakily. Something isn't right, Katie reasserts. There were a finite number of people who lost their fucking minds with that vaccine. How is it possible the tribe is growing if there are only so many who are denoculated? It doesn't add up in the slightest. The conversation continues to evolve, and Gibbs takes the helm. Yet my thoughts drift to the woods earlier that morning when Alexa confronted me with the other brush biters. Because what I cannot comprehend is where or how Megan fits into this equation. Some small part of me feels she's still out there, and yet how could she manage to survive alone? It's beyond my grasp. If the army and heathens keep getting bolder, we have no chance against them, I interject into the discussion. Unless we can figure out a way to better protect ourselves. Well, what are we armed with these days, Claire queries, pulling her quiver over her shoulder and setting it on the ground. I've still got my bow, she eyed her partner. Anna? In return, Anna unfastens the holster around her waist, revealing two she tantos. I still have my blades. 
Next to her, Jess gently places her PPK in front of her crossed legs. This. Like a wave, each of us unsheathes and displays our respective weapons. For Taylor, it's an immensely sharp pocket knife and her bear spray. She refuses to carry a gun, yet isn't stubborn enough to believe she shouldn't be armed. Avery doesn't go anywhere without her katana, a prize she bought from a group of road looters at the Sunday market a year prior. With pride, Cecily brings forth her Beretta 92, a gift from her father before the plague destroyed the world, and sadly, her father would not survive it. Gibbs always keeps a 357 along with six extra loaded cylinders around her belt, a gun which sounds more like a bomb exploding than a shot from a handgun. Grinning, Sierra produces her crossbow and a sharpened nail file, and I proceed to yank the 9mm from my thigh holster and place it on the floor. All eyes move to Katie, and she merely shrugs. The AR is in the other room. I laugh aloud, which causes a ripple effect amongst the group, releasing some of the pressure hanging in the air as we then simultaneously rearm ourselves. I am due to make another round of bullets, I broadcast to the group. If anyone is low, let me know on your way out. There are murmurs of acknowledgement. How do you reckon we deal with the increasing threat, Avery presses curiously. The heathen strikes are timed in such a way we can't know when they're going to show up. And the army has hummers, machine guns, grenade launchers, endless ammunition. We're completely at their mercy. The only advantage we have right now is that we know this town better than they do, Sierra points out. We know the trails, the shortcuts, the escape routes. They don't venture anywhere off the streets unless there is an entire unit present, and those outings never last too long. I look at Gibbs, wanting to share my thoughts, and I realize that I have to. If it gets much worse, we won't have many options left. We don't have enough gasoline to mobilize. We wouldn't have enough food to survive more than a winter, if that. So you're saying we're doomed, Jess questions anxiously. No, no, we're not doomed, I correct rapidly. I am saying that, while for the present moment, we're getting by. We can't live like this forever. Taylor's eyes light up. We need to think on a bigger scale, is what you're saying. Exactly. Bigger scale, Katie asks. To what capacity? What I'm about to add is not going to sit well. We need to find the shadows. What? Claire cries. Why the fuck would we do that? Because we need an ally other than the brush batters, I remark confidently. Yeah, Katie grants. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The heathens have been trying to chase down the shadows at every opportunity, and we know why, Cecily observes. The trouble is, how the hell do we find them? If the brush biters are as nervous as they acted today, I reply, I don't think we'll have to find them. I think the shadows will find us. How can you be sure? Claire requests. It's then I reveal the final card in my hand. Because I think with how rapidly our situation is deteriorating and how out of hand the heathens have become, they'll know they need us too. And I think Megan is one of them. The entire room is motionless. There's there's no way, Avery mutters. Actually, Anna says, her eyes lighting up, that seems entirely plausible. How is that plausible, Taylor retorts. Megan never would have made it far on her own, Sierra defends. She would have have to have met with parties on the outskirts. Plus, plus, Taylor demands. Plus, as far as she knows, Chris isn't dead. She wouldn't go far if there was ever a chance he'd reappear, Sierra remarks quietly. Just like I haven't left, just like Gracie hasn't left. Just like Avery hasn't left, or you, Taylor. Imagine if Mark could make it home. I mean, if there's even the slightest chance I could have Jordan back, I wouldn't be going anywhere. 
She's right, Avery consents. I'm not going anywhere without Brooks. All eyes are on me for a few seconds, and I almost refuse to speak. Then, a very small piece of me that still holds on to hope took over. Well, I dream about him every night, so there's that. Everyone stares at me with the same sad gaze, the one we all feel deep in our hearts, and I take a sip of coffee to avoid making it any more disheartening. I think the message here is, we need to have an open mind about how to deal with this, Gibbs moves on. Sunday market is tomorrow, and the dry months are coming ahead. Make sure you prioritize water above all else. The community garden has a thri- had a thriving year due to the mild winter, but let's not be fooled. A mild winter means a tough summer. The Skyliner should be providing us with a decent supply of water from higher up in the mountains, Cecily responds diligently, especially since they desperately need food. They'll be at the market tomorrow. Come armed at the market, Katie stresses. Don't think that just because we're in a pack, we are safe. Everyone has something to offer, Gibbs solicits, peering around expectantly. Everyone, I tell her. However, I, still, I have my still stowed away at the storage unit. I'm going to sneak over there during the market tomorrow since it's close, and we can transport it up here. That is, if it's okay with you, Gibbs. Bathtub gin and whiskey at my house? Of course it's all right with me. Not to mention, it's probably better that Sierra and I are not spotted after these last few days. We are definitely walking around with targets on our back. Right, Sierra agrees. I'll send my trade out with Katie and keep a low profile. Is that fair? Gibbs nods. Fine by me. I have one final question, Jess inserts to the group dialogue as we finish our discussion. Yeah, Gibbs asks. What if the heathens don't stop? What if we can't stop the army? I look at Katie from across the circle. We'll be all right, boo. Her voice comes into my head. But they won't, I reply. We all die, she says. It's just a matter of when. Our numbers are still strong, Gibbs consoles her. We aren't going anywhere. When the time to worry approaches, it will be more than obvious. That I can't attest to. The meeting comes to an end, and once I finish taking bullet orders, Katie and I finally have a moment to go for a walk and talk things over. We make our way outside and down to the hillside to sit by the Deschutes, far enough away from the house for some privacy, but close enough to not tempt brush biters or anyone else to draw near. The two of us could not be more opposite. Katie stands at about five foot two with short dark hair, deep brown eyes, and olive-toned skin whereas I mark a solid 5'10", sporting long blonde hair, blue eyes, and relatively fair skin. Both of our bodies are covered in tattoos, hers boldly colored, mine black and gray, and after months of hunting heathens, we're both unbelievably strong and toned in physique. However, what I love most about us is that regardless of how different we are, we understand each other. It was that way when we were 19, and it's the same way now. You left Casper at the house, I ask? Casper, her 16-year-old pup, travels everywhere with her in her backpack she carries, though I noticed she didn't have him with her on our stroll. He snuggled up with Annabelle and Bo on the couch, she tells me with a grin. I didn't want to interfere. Once we find a clear spot, the two of us sit down on the edge of the water, staring out at the Deschutes River. You okay? Katie Katie queries guardedly. No, I respond honestly. I'm so fucking angry. It keeps me going. Good. Use it. For a few minutes, we do nothing other than enjoy the silence and the stillness.
Let's do a quick survey tonight, Katie requests. I just have a bad feeling about this market tomorrow. And if we can at least check the surrounding area, I'll be a little less, (laughs) I smirk, agitated. Letting out a tiny chuckle, Katie acquiesces. I guess anxiety isn't something I experience much these days. So yeah, agitated seems right. Babe, you've been agitated since you got here. Katie laughs. Yeah, I know. Shifting slightly, I turn to look at her. I'm in for a survey. Can we go without Gibbs? I pause. Why? You know I don't really trust her bigs. Oddly, this is understandable. Because her ex is running the brush biters and they cornered me today? That, and I can't prove it, but I'm about 80% sure she has contact with the shadows. My jaw drops open. Are you serious? Keeping her gaze out on the river, Katie nods. The night those fuckers tried to execute you and Megan, and we got you out of there by the skin of our fucking teeth. I mean, Biggs. They had patrols on every corner. No one was going anywhere unless they had resources. You really think Megan could have gotten out of Gibbs's home, made her way out of Bend, and figured out how to survive? Not to mention that girl loved you. Why wouldn't she take you with her if she had a way out? Unless... The pieces began falling into place. Unless someone asked her to go, Katie confirms, her eyes locking with mine. Unless someone told her this was the way to do it, to keep us alive. To keep the community from going completely under. She takes a breath. To keep the children safe. You think Megan was convinced to go by Gibbs? I think Gibbs is far smarter than we give her credit for. And we give her a shit ton of that already. But until I know the full story, I feel uneasy about her. Gibbs. She's been running the show, and not one of us calls her into question. I still don't. But is she running a multitude of angles to keep us alive? That I need to think about. Survey tonight. Just us, I confirm, giving Katie's hand a squeeze. Let's go just before dusk. We can utilize the evening light. I don't think it'll be dark until ten or so, and I have one hell of a lot of bullets to make before then. Deal. Katie releases my hand. Can I ask a personal question? Why are you asking me if you can ask a personal question, Littles? We were long past that ten years ago. My comment causes her to smile. Do you really dream about him every night? Is that why I started making that shit for you? Yeah, that's why you started making the tea for me. Well, I assume you lost that last bit of the tea in the fire, she says. You need more? Yes, please. Anything to actually help me rest. I'll have a little for you tonight. We'll meet at the same spot? Same spot, I approve. After hours of pressing bullets, our evening survey proves to be futile. Nonetheless, Katie manages to put together another batch of tea to help me sleep, which I'm grateful for. Our nerves are on edge. For the first time in a long time, I can feel the deep anxiousness in my chest. Something is waiting on the horizon. And whatever it is, it isn't sunshine and rainbows.